Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Corn Rose Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you've not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out. Always want to get your feedback. Um, I'm psyched to be joined today by Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked On Rockets. He also does some stuff over at Clutch City Control Room, which is a great independent blog that a couple of my friends work at um, covering the Houston Rockets. Uh, Jackson, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm ready to be here, ready to talk Rockets Pacers, uh, ready to dive into all the great things that we've seen out of uh, both of these teams so far in this early going of this NBA season. And uh, let's just uh, dive straight in whenever you're whatever you want to get yeah, to first. I'm, definitely. I'm I have I have so many questions for you, man. I uh, so I mean, obviously covering the NBA, I think you you learn pretty quick. You have to cover every team. It's not really just one unless you're, you otherwise you're not really going to have a great picture of where your team is really at. Um, or what you're talking about. So, I, you know, I try and keep a gauge on everything. And uh, I'll be honest, I've only watched Houston play probably two or three times this year. I've obviously kept up with everything. And I, I was watching this morning, uh, watching back through the Mavericks game. So many questions for you. Number one, not even just a question, but I mean, I guess kind of more of a posture, like Christian Wood is the best role man that James Harden's ever played with, right? Like he's got to be because he, he- um, de- definitely, you know, he, he's leaving a little bit of something to be desired on the defensive end oh, of yeah, the court. Um, but offensively, yeah, he's talented. He's able to get up and, and really, uh, even his, his vertical spacing is, is maybe not quite as good as Clint Capella's was. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's pretty much right about there, but then he, you get so much more out of him because he's so versatile offensively. He's easily the best, most talented big that Harden has played with in his time here in Houston. Um, and that, that goes back to, you know, he spent some time with Dwight Howard, with Clint Capella, who, you know, developed into a really good role man, but just two very limited uh, front court style players. And we've seen, James Harden find a lot of success when you pair him with a front court player that is more dynamic, that can handle the ball a little bit, can uh, pass, can score from multiple areas on the floor. We saw a lot of success between James Harden and surprisingly Jeff Green as a small ball five for the Rockets in the NBA bubble because Jeff Green was giving you some of that skill set at the five spot, which James Harden hadn't really had uh, before in his career. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a great point. As I'm wearing my Georgetown hat, uh, talking about one of my (laughs) favorite Hoyas. Yeah. Jeff Green can never quit him. Um, No, he was fantastic last year playing at that small ball five spot, especially with Christian though. I mean, what stands out like you're talking about, I mean, and watching him with the Pistons last year and of course watching him with Houston this year, defensively, he is a work in progress, like not a great communicator on the defensive end. Um, And I think you've seen that drop off already. Rockets are two and three right now to start the year. Um, I guess shifting from that, though, at point of attack, uh, John Wall has looked, to his credit, a lot better than I was expecting. Um, I, but then again, where, where are you kind of at with where he's at? I know offensively, I think there's more to be desired uh, for sure. Um, but in terms of just movement on court, I think has been, um, especially you know, in, in following with Victor Oladipo and the way he's come back from injury and how long it's taken for him, it's been impressive to see John Wall come back and still have uh, quite a bit of burst. 
Yeah, I mean, John Wall, somebody that Pacers fans should be uh, very familiar with uh, yes. for years. Uh, but, uh, you know, just the the biggest question with anybody like that coming back from a severe injury, the way that he did, the way that DeMarcus Cousins has done, the way that Oladipo's done, uh, the way that David Nwaba's done. They've got the Achilles trio here in Houston. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, you know, coming back from a major injury like that, the goal is just health first and yeah. foremost, right? You're not going to concern yourself with the, you know, the itty bitty on, on how they look offensively, defensively. You want to see if they look healthy and you can hammer out, you can iron out those little details later on. But so far he looks healthy. He's got the same uh, level of burst and speed that he had pre-injury John Wall. Um, you know, offensively, the, the fit is still going to be a bit of a question between he and James Harden. Uh, it was a, it was a question between Harden and Chris Paul. When he first came to Houston, it was a question between Harden and Westbrook last year. It's going to be a question again between he and John Wall, but that's something that, you know, those two guys are going to make work offensively because, at the end of the day, Russ was a complete non-shooter, you know, yeah. shot his worst year from behind the arc in Houston. And John Wall has never been a, a poor three or poor catch and shoot three point shooter off the dribble. Yeah. He leaves a little bit of something to be desired, but as a catch and shoot three point guy, he's a respectable shooter in that regard. I think for the, for his career, he was shooting like 38 or 38 and a half percent off catch and shoot threes. So he's going to have plenty of those opportunities playing alongside James Harden. And those two are still trying to figure things out. But defensively, um, this is a guy that was a former all NBA caliber defender, and it's a direct upgrade for the Rockets point of attack defense, having him at the top of the, you know, at the top of the defense, as opposed to Russell Westbrook, who at times just situationally his defensive awareness, you know, really painful to watch sometimes. Watcher. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and James, James Harden's not, you know, uh, James Harden is a culprit of that as well at times. So when you have Russ and Harden out there, both sometimes caught ball watching or mentally checked out defensively, not rushing back on defense, it can lead to some, you know, some ugly defensive possessions, some ugly transition opportunities for the other team. And that's not going to be the case with John Wall wearing a, uh, a Houston jersey. Yeah, most certainly. Um, you know, I think what stands out to me most so far, just uh, – it's a total differentiation from last year in the way that the team is built, obviously. And getting Christian Wood, I think, was obviously a huge get. You know, I think we had that entire stretch like that. First of all, free agency was absurd. Like, free agency was just crazy. It was so, so quick. It felt really well, long because of how impact. much stuff was I – mean, so much crap was just Put happening. it all into like, a week. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, because all the stuff comes out, you know, the stuff about Harden potentially moving, which we'll talk about. And then Christian Wood signs out of nowhere for a deal that – most most people thought he would get you know quite a bit more than that um you know so it's a total restructuring of how the team going from being you know uh, robert Covington, biggest player on the team in the starting five to now you have an actual big in christian wood playing most of the time demarcus cousins off the bench who um outside of being ejected yesterday um i i'm interested to see what you think about how he's looked to begin the year I, i've only seen limited minutes of him but like again athletically he looks uh like capable and considering he's just playing bench minutes. I mean, it's solid. Well, he, he came in and he looked uh, noticeably skinnier, you know, jokingly yeah. called him skinny boogie when we first saw photos <laughs> of him in a Rockets jersey. But, um, you know, he looks like he's trimmed down quite a bit, which is probably going to be something that that helps with his longevity regarding his, you know, his previous injuries, the Achilles, the, the quad injury, all that stuff. Um, but the Rockets don't need him. Yeah, They're not expecting not. and they don't need him to be, the boogie cousins that was an all-star from Sacramento. They don't, and they don't even need the production that he was giving uh, the, the Pelicans for that half a season before the Achilles tear, uh, which, you know, unfortunately happened against the Houston Rockets. Um, 
They just need a, a decent presence off the bench, somebody that can continue their five-out spacing offensively, who can be a bigger body when they need a bigger body than Christian Wood to throw at opposing big-bodied centers. Um, we saw in the second game of the season, the Rockets played against the Nuggets, and Nikola Jokic absolutely took advantage of that matchup uh, against Christian Wood at times because Wood, even though he's 6'10", he's got some height, um, he's very lean, and, and he needs to yeah. definitely hit the weight room and add a little bit more uh, mass to his frame to be able to deal with some of the bigger players in the league. But there's also a really fine line you balance when you do that with a springy athletic big like Christian Wood. We actually saw that a couple seasons ago with Clint Capella, who added too much muscle mass in the offseason one year coming into the 2018 2019 season for the Rockets and he was a lot slower he didn't quite have the second uh, the quick second bounce that he did the season prior um, and just wasn't as springy he came in at like 250 and then eventually he trimmed down and got back down to about 235 240 which is like his sweet spot so Christian Wood definitely needs to add some muscle mass but not too much to where he ruins his advantage uh, being a faster uh, more agile big against other bigs in the NBA. Yeah, most definitely. And I think he's interesting to me, too, because especially just in relating to this game against the Pacers already to begin the year, they've had a lot of trouble with long athletes, um, long athletes who can jump are like the bane of the Pacers existence. Like I think um, Mitchell Robinson finished probably seven or eight lobs uh, just in the game against the Knicks. Um, yesterday, they struggled a lot with Zion in the front court. Even Steven Adams was coming in. Uh, getting offensive rebounds has, has been a big, I mean, get, securing defensive rebounds has been a major issue for the team so far. Um, luckily, I mean, against Christian Wood, that should be okay. He's a great rebounder, but outside of him, you're not super worried about anybody skying in on the offensive glass from the Rockets. Um, but overall, I mean, I think I, I want to shift it to the Pacers a little bit. What questions uh, or kind of thoughts do you have on the Pacers coming into the game? Well, my, my biggest concern coming into this game is legitimately Sabonis and how the Rockets are going to actually like effectively contain him. Um, Cause again, you know, Christian Wood has left a lot to be desired, desired defensively. And I'm still not a hundred percent certain on how they're even going to match up with Sabonis. Um, right now, Daniel house is not traveling with the team. So it's actually, uh, we don't know who's going to be the starting three for the Rockets. Uh Reasonably, the, the rest of the lineup is going to be John Wall, James Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Christian Wood. Uh, but then we don't know who's going to be that starting three for the team. But looking at what the Pacers are going to put together, put, putting that out there on the court, um, you know, I wonder if we're going to see some minutes with P.J. Tucker guarding Sabonis, possibly. Mm -hmm. Um, but that kind of makes, you know, provides a little bit of a matchup issue then for Christian Wood on the perimeter. Um, you know, so what is what? As far as Sabonis goes, um, you know, I know he's had a really strong start to the season, but that that's my biggest concern for the Rockets is how they contain him and then whether or not they they continue to offensively struggle in in getting Silas's system actually established with some increased ball movement and stuff. Because again, against the Mavericks, a game that they lost by 13 points, they struggled offensively all night and they just looked all out of sorts to where they, they really kind of regressed and went back into their isolation, heavy style of yeah. play rather than ball movement, crisp passing, lots of cutting, all that stuff. Um, so defensively, how have the Pacers looked, I guess, guarding opposing offenses so far? And then offensively, is Sabonis going to terrorize Christian Wood? Or, uh, or I mean, P.J. Tucker can hold his own, but Sabonis can then, you know, finish over the top of him. So I'm, I'm kind of, that's where I'm at with that matchup. 
Yeah, no, I think those are great questions. It's it's funny because you mentioned like the offense dying down a little bit. That was an issue for the Pacers in the bubble last year. Um, and in watching the game against the Mavs yesterday, there was a possession that stuck out in the second quarter. Um, I believe there was a I, I want to say John Wall forced to turn over, brought it down, but then dribbled out at the top of the key for like 10 seconds and then jacked a three. And PJ Tucker just like shrugged in the corner. Um, I saw that a couple times yesterday. I know that's been an issue. Obviously, PJ has been uh, unhappy just based on reporting. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm definitely interested to see because we're used to, I mean, the ball movement um, in that second half of the regular season last year was incredible. Like watching that team play uh, was awesome. I, I loved the, the, like the, the pocket rockets, whatever people were calling them. Pocket uh, there were rockets, a, a million ball, names. Like, ball, yeah, like, yeah, a ton six, of seven names. or less was probably my favorite one. Yeah. That was um, a good one. That was a really good one, but yeah. I mean, and then in terms of Sabonis on the offensive end, I mean, so he's connecting like what I think seven assists right now, but he's also turning the ball over five times a game. Um, so, I mean, part of that's going to happen when you have a guy his size who's handling the ball as much as he does. He brings the ball up a ton now. Um, you know, I, I think P.J. Tucker asking P.J. To, to guard Domas the entire game is a lot. You know, I, I would personally bank on um, just trying to double team him for some kind of mismatches, uh, just be so comfortable that, like closing out on on a shooter. But yeah. So that's actually something that the Rockets haven't done a lot of is they haven't oh, really? done a lot of post double teaming because for the most part, they're usually at least so far their defensive identity. They're content to let opposing teams post up because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, uh, posting up at times is not a very efficient means yeah. to score the basketball. Now that that kind of changes if, if Sabonis goes off and has a monster night um, and just abuses players at the rim. But with PJ Tucker specifically, he's a guy that he definitely knows how to use his size to prevent other bigger, stronger players from taking advantage of him. I mean, moving PJ Tucker, it's like trying to move a cinder block. Um, there's yeah. a there's that highlight from the Rockets Lakers series where LeBron was trying to back down PJ Tucker and was getting literally nowhere. And LeBron yeah. is a freight train, like he is gigantic and could not make PJ Tucker budge on the low block. So if, if LeBron can't do that, you know, Sabonis is a bit bigger and stronger than LeBron for sure. But like Sabonis is still going to have a handful trying to operate, uh, you know, with his back against PJ Tucker. So where is Sabonis? Cause I'll have to admit, I haven't been able to catch uh, as many Pacers games this season as I want. Where does he favor? Is he more of the back to the basket style or is he going to face up a lot more and, and kind of operate maybe out of the high post and off the wing a little bit to, to face up his defender? So he's interesting. Um, depends if he does not go right. He still does not like going right. Um, almost everything comes off of his left hand and on the left side of the court. Um, but what has been interesting is that he has started taking and making threes now. Um, and we started seeing now guys are coming out to contest him at the three point line and his handles improved a little bit. Um, so he is comfortable driving to the rim. Now uh, he will still post up, but a lot of times, I mean, like 50% of the time when he's posted up, it's not an exact number, but it, it just off the top of my head, that's what it feels like. Uh, well, his, I want to say his, his post-up numbers are below average right now, or at least last year they were, my tracking data is off currently. Um, but when you in, uh, account for the uh, points generated out of passes from post-ups, he's, you know, one of the, you know, top 15 percentile post-up players in the league. Um so I think that's one of the interesting things you can look at. All right, if if you're not double teaming him like you're mentioning, like they're they're comfortable just uh, one on one in the post, that actually might be better for Houston. If you're forcing Domas to be a post presence and just be an individual scorer, I mean that's not what we've seen a ton from him this year. He's he's getting um, he, he's upped his free throw rate, but overall he hasn't made a ton of improvements as a scorer in my opinion. Like he's still 
Uh, he cut he cut out a lot of the he, he would fall on, you know, a 16 or 18 footer a lot of times last year because he would operate from the high post where they try and run a lot of their DHO actions. And if nothing stuck, then he would just, you know, dribble into an 18 footer down the shot clock. Uh, but now he's driving to the rim instead. So I guess uh, all in all, it would just be more on uh, if you're not trapping him. I actually think that that could be better. Well, and, you know, one interesting thing, and I can't wait to see when they're because they're going to break it out at some point in this game. Um, the Rockets still have a, a tendency because, again, th- what they're doing right now, <clears throat> apologize. No, you're good. What they're, what they're doing right now is they're still trying to find their defensive identity. They yeah. haven't found that yet, um, and they're still trying to unlock their offensive identity under what Silas is trying to accomplish. But defensively, we've seen some stretches where they have reverted out of necessity more so than desire to um, going back to playing a version of small ball where they Mm -hmm. take out Christian Wood, where they don't have DeMarcus cousins in the game. And there was actually a stretch in the second game against the Kings where for about four minutes, they held the Kings scoreless. And then there was another stretch against the Mavericks where they held the Mavericks scoreless for almost five minutes running these small ball lineups with some combination of either Jay Sean Tate or PJ Tucker, or in the specific instance against the Mavericks, both, of them were in the game at the same time uh which those lineups have been known to be called the uh the tuck wagon lineups shout out to old houston rocket chuck hayes his nickname the chuck wagon um and now we're calling them the tate wagon lineups when when jay sean tate is in there at the five spot so i wonder because i'm assuming sabonis has played uh you know a a decent chunk of minutes at the five spot when turner hits the bench right oh yeah so that's going to be interesting is if they opt to run that small ball matchup. And if they think that's a favorable lineup, because again, holding the Kings who are a really solid offensive team to start the year and the Mavericks really solid team, even though they've had some struggles, they've got a lot of offensive firepower holding both of those teams scoreless for four and five minute stretches is really impressive. And I wonder a, when we're going to see that in this game. Cause it's, it's not a question of if it's a question of when, um, when we're going to see it and whether or not it's as effective in shutting down the Pacers offense. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, especially now, I mean, this year, uh, or, I, or I should say last year, miles hardly ran as the solo five with the bench unit at all. I mean, he would, uh, so Domas was always the first guy out of the rotation. I mean, Nate McMillan, as much as he, I mean, he was a good coach, much better than I think he gets credit for. Um, but I mean, his rotation was set in stone. Domas would be the first one out. Uh, Justin Holiday would come in. And the Pacers would run that unit until the end of the first quarter. And then mm-hmm. you get Domas and the bench unit from there on out. Um, so it's it's interesting because now Miles is getting run with the bench unit and he's looked really good. But I think that's a perfect opportunity for the tuck wagon lineup because Miles, um, you know, considering how much stuff flows through the bigs for the offense, uh, Miles is not nearly the, the level of passer that Domas is. And that's not an, an indictment. There are very few guys who are, uh, especially at the big position, but as much as his decision-making is improved, I think that would be a really tough uh, defensive matchup for him. So I wonder too, I mean, Nate Bjorkman might be thinking about that and, you know, plan accordingly, but that's one of the ways that I would definitely see the tuck wagon lineup working well and and giving the Pacers fits, because if you can force turnovers, uh, you you could force turnovers on miles a lot easier than you could on, on Domas for sure. Hmm. And I, I just kind of looking at the team, you know, the Pacers are such an interesting team because they don't necessarily have that, like, you know, they don't have a superstar. They don't yeah. have a James Harden. They don't have a, a Luka Doncic, but they're still a really damn good team and they're well coached. Um, but, I, you know, pre-injury, would it have been, it would have been safe to say that this was Victor Oladipo's team pre-injury. Oh, and easily. Then post, but, but post-injury, 
is it still his team? Is it more Sabonis's team? Do they kind of share the team? How does it, or where does Brogdon factor in? Like who is the face of the Pacers or is there one singular face? Is it just a collaborative group effort? I love this question. Um, that's a really great question because right now I would honestly say that I'm not sure, you know, uh, two years ago, this was Vic's team, you know, um, easily without question. Uh, and as Domas has really come on, um, I guess you could point more to it being his team. Uh, it, even if you just look at shot hierarchy, I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is taking the most shots on the team. Uh, he is the vocal leader in the locker room. Um, you know, he was a big part of the reason for why, uh, not for why Nate Bjorken became head coach, but why there is a new head coach. He was one of the guys who went to um, to the front office and said that he thought there should be a change. Um so it's interesting, you know, there's kind of a three-way jockey for who's there right now. It's working as an egalitarian system. Um, and there isn't a true superstar, but I think, you know, you're seeing yesterday. I don't know if you caught any of yesterday's game, but Victor Oladipo is the reason the Pacers won that game. Uh, Domas fouled out with about four minutes to go. And uh, Vic had the game saving play hit the, the, an extremely deep three to, to keep it even, even, and then took over in overtime as well. So while he's not, he's, I'm hesitant to say that he is quote unquote back, you know, he's still um, getting over his injury and, and getting back to a level of, of being the bursty athletic player he was, but he's showing the capability to take over in, in times where uh, there isn't a guy on the team who can do it the way that he can. Uh, I don't, not, not, I don't want to say that I don't trust him, but I just don't think Malcolm or, uh, or Domas are the level of players where you can, take over a game for stretches and win you games because that's what made Victor different in 17, 18 and why that team almost beat LeBron in the first round uh, because Victor had the capability to do that. And that's, I guess you, you could consider that's what, that's what makes somebody a star player. Um, but it's that, it's that yeah. like, it's kind of, it's kind of corny to call it, you know, the mama mentality, right. But it's that, it's that X factor. It's well, exactly. you know, some, players, yeah. some players have it and other players don't. And it, it might be unfair to say that Malcolm Brogdon doesn't have it air quotes. Um, but you know, Victor Oladipo has definitely been in that role and been that guy before. And it's just a question of, you know, where, when he'll be ready to be that guy, quote unquote, again, you know, as his post injury career continues, which, you know, things have been looking up. I mean, it's, it's such it, anytime you hear of an injury like that, it's so painful because he was such a big mm -hmm. part of the franchise and it was such a hard hitting blow, but in a way, right. It's kind of him stepping away right probably led to Sabonis developing to the point that he's gotten to and now you've got this three-headed dragon in Brogdon Sabonis and Depot to you know terrorize opposing teams whereas you look at you know what Sabonis was doing before Vic got injured and he might not have developed to this point right yeah no that's a great point I mean I think that's one of the tough parts about the Pacers is that they always have this happen you know every two or three years there's a massive injury that totally redirects the course of the franchise and you saw that happen with Paul George and uh you know that paved the way to Miles Turner coming to the team and becoming an integral and somehow he's the longest tenured Pacer and he's not even 25 yet which is still crazy for me to think about this is his sixth year now um which is wild because I was in high school still when he was drafted um you know, yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. Like, I think a lot of times people negate the fact that injuries pave ways for guys to open up and have opportunities. Like, uh, T.J. Warren, unfortunately, is injured now, but the what he did in the bubble, that's not happening. And Victor's there, completely healthy. Um, you know, and unfortunately, we don't get to see that compounded right now. And T.J. might be out for a couple months. Um, but yeah, no, that's a great point. And and speaking of stars, though, 
Um, I'm sure you're already tired of having to answer questions about this, but um, what are you, just what are your thoughts on everything going on with James Harden right now and, and kind of where things are at and, and your opinion on what, what's going on with the Rockets and uh, whether or not he'll be there? Well, you know, it, it was a it was a very tumultuous offseason to say the least for 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 the organization, for Rockets fans, uh, for Harden, for Russ, uh, who's now a wizard. Just a lot of a lot of stuff going on, and you know, I, I really felt through all of it for Stephen Silas, who finally, oh, yeah. you know, after years of hard work, finally got his first head coaching position and was immediately just trial by fire thrown into the fray, dealing with, you know, answering these questions. When's James Harden going to report to training camp? Does he want to be here? All this stuff. And I think Silas did exactly what you're supposed to do with James Harden in regards to James Harden, as far as a professional standpoint, by basically saying, look, you're going to have to ask him those questions. I can't answer them for you. Sorry. Um, you know, and then he would go back into answering questions about the team and the group of guys that he had there in training camp and what the team did look like. And he wasn't going to sit there and speculate on whether or not James Harden wanted to be a Houston rocket, which was not the right, which wasn't, wouldn't have been the right thing to do. So he didn't do it. So credit to Silas. He's handled himself uh, with a lot of poise throughout all of this. And it seems right now we're just, five games into the season. And again, the Rockets record two and three doesn't really, doesn't really accurately reflect what the talent level has looked like on the court. Yeah. Um, again, missing some key contributors in those first two games due to COVID contact tracing, which was not fun. Uh, missing James Harden in the second game against the Kings where they still looked really good. Uh, and then just not looking great uh, in the Mavericks, their first really like bad game, quote unquote, all season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with Harden, the the question was, is he going to show up and be professional or not? And, you know, is he going to show up and be Vince Carter, you know, wanting to be traded from the Raptors? Or is he going to show up and actually be a professional and and be the James Harden that uh, that everybody knows he's capable of being on the basketball court? And so far, that's exactly what we've gotten. He came out first game of the season, dropped 44 and 17. Just, you know, who does that after, exactly after right. all these questions about, you know, about being called fat in pregame warmups and stuff like, you know, the dude drops out and hangs 44 and 17 assists on the Blazers. Yeah, it was a loss, but they were also missing half their roster uh, playing with, you know, guys who would be qualified as G League basketball players for stretches during the game with Bruno Caboclo and Broderick Thomas out there sometimes. Uh, so, you know, the best case scenario for this Rockets team was hang on to James Harden unless you were presented with a godfather or like King's Ransom style offer, which it seems that they weren't or at least not presented with one that met their standards. Um, so you hold on to James Harden, you see how it plays out with this team, and then maybe you revisit it around the trade deadline if the team doesn't look like it's gelling, if it doesn't look like things look like they're progressing in a positive way. Um but the 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 best case scenario for this team is they win some games. They look competitive with James Harden, which he's bought in. He's acting professional. He's, you know, during timeouts, during stoppages in play, dead balls, he's grabbing his teammates. He's saying, look, this is what needs to change. He's leading. He's showing them yeah. this is what needs to happen. So he looks engaged with this team. He looks like he, you know, cares about what's happening. His post-game quotes after being kind of vague and disinterested during the uh, the preseason, it seems like he's really bought into what Silas is, is preaching as the new head coach, um, even complimenting him in certain ways, saying that he appreciates how uh, Silas is putting him in positions to attack and make his life easier off ball rather than always having to have the ball in his hand. So that's a great sign there. Um, And if look, winning cures all, if this Rockets team finds itself winning some games, you know, as the season progresses and they look like they're going to be a a top four seed in the West, then James Harden should absolutely look around and be like, you know what, this is actually a team that's worth staying on and worth contending with because 
you know, we're, he, he, you know, looking out, out East, you know, there's not, you know, the, the, the Brooklyn Nets came out and they're, you know, what, three and three right now, four and three. I mean, they, they don't look, you know, they don't look amazing. You know, no, no team looks head and shoulders above any other team in the league right now. And I think that's the main takeaway is that there's not, you know, the, the Lakers are still there. The Lakers are still the team to beat um, because they're the defending champs. But there's not like a clear-cut Golden State Warriors-esque juggernaut in the league. The you know the the title could be anybody's for the taking. It's just about whether or not you're the right team that gels at the right time, gets hot at the right time, that kind of thing. Um, and if if the Rockets are able to make some substantial noise this postseason, then why wouldn't James Harden want to stay? So I I don't think they're gonna. I really don't see them revisiting the discussions at the trade deadline, even unless this team looks like an absolute dumpster fire by the deadline. Um, I think they're going to kind of push these discussions off until next off season. And this is going to be potentially James Harden's last year as a Houston rocket with, you know, if they revisit the trade discussions next off season, but um, you know, so far this team is talented and exciting. And even though the record doesn't necessarily portray that um, they have a very, very, very high ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, not to just piggyback right off that, but I just from, from afar to me, um, looking at all of the things that were coming up for hard and all the trade offers that, that came up, like the idea of the Brooklyn package uh, that got floated to me so many times on Twitter. I'm just like, why on earth would Houston do that? You know, I think the thing that I look at right away, I'm like, okay, if he's on an expiring deal, that's one thing. Um, he's still under contract. And I, I get, you, you know, things could get messy, like you're mentioning with Vince Carter. Um, and luckily that's not how it's been. James Harden is a, th- just the fact like like you're mentioning him coming out and dropping 44 and 17 in the in the first game should have been silencing enough um but i just look at it in terms of if you're houston you, you can't make any of those deals like the the karis lavert jared allen and like a couple picks like what does that do for you you know james harden is the second or third best player in the nba right now you know it's just I, I don't know. I you're, think you're, you're never, you're, you would never in a million years get equal value in a James yeah, Harden trade, not. but that's, and that's why you, you had to, you had to at least outlast all of the crap that was happening in the preseason and in the off season, because you just needed to see what version of him you were going to get. Because again, if he came out and if he was moping, if he was, you know, gonna, gonna half-ass his play while he was on the court, then yeah, you've got to, you've got to jettison him, right? If his heart's not in it, then you've got to get rid of him because he's a detriment to the team. But to this point, he has hasn't been that to this point he's being a leader he's great he's teaching the young guys what they need to do properly he's helping the team win games he has been what he needs to be he's been the regular old James Harden and so there's no reason to think that that's suddenly going to change as the season progresses so there is no reason to take those trades and that's why you know credit to Rafael Stone who was also thrust into the fire as the new GM after um, Daryl Morey's departure for not caving, right? Your, your star player demands a trade and he could have immediately panicked and, and gone to the first highest bidder, which was the Nets trying to, you know, put that little poo-poo platter offer together and he could have caved. And we would be looking at a Rockets team that was had no chance to be anywhere near as talented as they are right now and for the foreseeable future for the next, you know, few years because James Harden is a top three NBA player. And when you have a top three player, these guys don't just grow on trees. He is a once in a generational talent. And, you know, there are teams who have waited, you know, upwards of a decade, sometimes even two decades plus to try and score that generational talent to, to, you know, catapult their, their team into championship contention. And sometimes it just never happens, right? Look at the, look at the Knicks. 
The Knicks have struggled for ages. Look at the Kings. They passed on Luka Doncic and you, you know, they've got a younger, exciting roster, but you know, you never know in the NBA. And what you do know with James Harden is that the floor of a James Harden led team is like 50 something wins. You're able to contend with him. And if you can keep him, if you have an inkling, even if it's you know, a sliver of getting him remotely happy back to where he was, where he's committed to the franchise, you hang on to that thread for as long as humanly possible until it becomes evident that it doesn't matter anymore. I 100% agree with that. Um, I think it's all fantastic points to bring up. Um, you know, before we get out of here, I don't, I'm not really a big prediction person because predictions can bite you in the ass. And I'd rather just uh, watch <laughs> and see what happens. But regardless, I think uh, Houston provides a lot of interesting matchup issues for the Pacers, especially like I think Christian Wood is going to be a nightmare uh, for them. Uh, it's just really tough to guard that kind of role, man, especially too. Like I actually, I thought about that a lot last year, as good as, the offense was I thought that was part of what was really missing for Houston I mean uh Clint Capella is not like the most versatile offensive player but in terms of what he gave Harden as a lob threat I mean just that that he could uh especially we've seen with Miles Turner already getting frozen a little bit on when you have to defend lob threats like that like Alfred Payton was hitting floaters with ease because Mitchell Robinson was that much of a factor in the lob game so you it, when you make that christian wood and james harden that's that's pretty hard to defend so regardless uh i'm excited for the game what's one or two things that you're kind of looking out for um definitely you know looking at defensively how christian wood holds up against you know uh, you know it in a lineup featuring Turner and Sabonis um, rockets have been getting decimated in the rebounding battle uh, over these first few games. And that's hey, same. <laughs> in, hey, that's in large part due to uh, Christian Wood. And, you know, he just defensively, his awareness is not the best at times, uh, you know, doesn't box out really well. He averages, you know, he's got good averages, but a lot of the, uh, the rebounds that he gets are easy boards. They're not ones yeah. that he's really having to, you know, like work for. Um, so that rebounding area is going to be a big issue for me. And then the three point shooting is actually really interesting. Um, you know, again, the Rockets were a team that last year led the league, you know, has led the league every year for years now in three point attempts. They're down, uh, kind of, you know, near the, the, the number 10 mark, I think right around now, mm -hmm. uh, somewhere around like 38 or so a game and, you know, whether or not they, they actually, get quality three-point looks is going to be really interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they start in that small forward spot because David Nwaba is not a three-point shooter. And that was something that we saw uh, against the Mavericks is this Rockets team struggled at stretch for stretches during the game where they had two or sometimes three like non-shooters or hesitant shooters on the court at the same time. And that coupled with James Harden's struggles offensively, Christian Wood not hitting anything, any any single shot outside of the arc, he shot five threes, missed all of them, um, was just, you know, it all just kind of coalesced into this perfect storm where they just could not get points on the boards. So even though their defensive issues are probably a bit more glaring as like a long-term problem and having to gel on that end, in the immediate here and now, I'm hoping for some bounce back games offensively. And I'd, I'd like to see them actually shoot a, a reasonable percentage from behind the arc instead of uh, the really abysmal, like it was 27 and a half percent. They shot nice. against the Mavericks. Just re really. And the, the worst part is they shot 27 and a half percent and they were still in the game, like for stretches, they still caught back up and they were, you know, right there for stretches at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth quarter before it finally got out of hand with uh, uh, Tim Hardaway jr. Hitting eight out of 10 threes, you know, 80% from behind the arc was, was ridiculous. Um, he scorched the Rockets always does. Um, but those are kind of my two keys going into this one. What about you? 
Oh yeah. Well, I agree. I, I think I mentioned a little bit too, like just how do they handle the lob threat? Because I think Christian was going to be a massive issue on that end. Um, and how do they guard James Harden? Um, that's always been a question, right? I mean, who gets the assignment? Probably Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I would guess because normally Vic gets uh, put on a, a non-shooter in Rome's because that's what he's good at. Um, but ah, God, I mean, it's, it's tough. Like I have no idea how, how they're going to handle it defensively. What does Sabonis do? I mean, this is the first team that's really running a small ball lineup. So when you have both Domas and miles out there, how are you defending this? I think um, I would ah, see, I don't know. Cause I think maybe is they there, put, is there a chance at all that Justin holiday might like get a starting nod over somebody? Else I think it would make sense. Because, I would like to see it, but Aaron holiday has yeah. been getting the starts since, uh, since TJ has been out. Because I was just going to say, you know, Harden, the, the one thing, if you're trying to slow down James Harden, is he struggles with length. If you put yeah. lengthy defenders on him, like, look, Maxi Kleber is not a agile defender. He's not a, you know, great one-on-one defender, but he's a long body. And when you put a long body on Harden, it really takes away some of his driving lanes because you have those long arms to really kind of, you know, throughout your wingspan and prevent Harden from slipping by you quite as easily. And then it also really messes with his uh, rhythm getting into his step back jump shot. So or his step back three pointer and Justin holiday is exactly that he's a lengthy, you know, defender got a good wingspan on him. Six, six, um, you know, probably would, would cause some problems for Harden. Again, you can't stop these star players. You can just try to make their yeah. lives as difficult as possible. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I completely agree. It's interesting too, because a lot of the times I, I, you know, I, I end up kicking myself after this the next day. So I'm like, well, this will be the defensive assignment, right? Like when the Celtics and Pacers played, I was like, okay, well, they're going to put TJ Warren on Jason Tatum because TJ's the only guy in the lineup who's six, eight. Um, and no, Malcolm Brogdon guarded Jason Tatum the entire game. Um, so I, I don't know. It's interesting because Malcolm Brogdon has been getting the toughest defensive assignment on the perimeter every single game, uh, which is, I don't want to say it's questionable. I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the coach, but it's a little bit, it's odd. I actually wrote about this today because um, they're currently playing like an eight and a half man rotation and just like obliterating the minutes output. So Malcolm Brogdon played the final 25 on clock minutes yesterday wow. without coming out. Uh, and Domas was on, uh, on course to do the exact same uh, if he hadn't fouled out. So, and that's been a trend for like the last two or three games now. So I, uh, Considering Malcolm's an injury risk, as I mean, Domas is coming off his first real injury, too. Um, it's a little bit, I don't want to say questionable, it's concerning to say the least, um, considering it's seven games in and you're playing a playoff rotation. But regardless, I don't know, there's a there's a lot to look at for uh, for tomorrow. But I, I'm hopeful that they play Justin Holiday in the starting lineup and put him on James. I think that would probably be the best, best matchup, like you're mentioning. Good stuff. I mean, there's going to be a lot to look forward to in this game. It's always a great matchup between these two teams. I always have a lot of fun with it. Um, Pacers are just Pacers are a great team and straight up like, you know, for all for all everybody listening, you know, I don't think the Pacers get nearly the respect they deserve out of uh, the Eastern Conference elite. Um, I remember when I was drafting up my like not my like official predictions, but I was just talking with somebody about like how, where I thought the East was going to shake out. And I had the Pacers like, again, at like that three, four spot, mm-hmm. just based on like continuity, having the same band of guys together, you know, that kind of thing, which you can't overstate, you know, how good that is by, by having chemistry with the group of guys that you're playing with. And uh, you know, people were like Pacers really fourth. And I'm like, dude, the Pacers are going to be good. Like, you know, put some respect on their name. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I had them in a kind of a range of outcomes. I was like, well, if they hit their, you know, kind of, peak range they could be the three seed um but if they hit 
you know, kind of a regular outcome, maybe they're the seventh seed. So I, I don't know if there's still a lot of season to be played and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but regardless, uh, I'm excited and I love basketball. So I'll take it, man. Uh, Jackson, I really appreciate you coming on before you get out of here. Uh, what, what's going on? What do you, what do you want people to know about in your life or uh, anything cool that you want to plug? Um, well, I'm a fan of long walks on beaches. No, anyways, um, <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know, if, if you want to keep up with the Houston Rockets, what's going on this season with, uh, James Harden, John Wall, Christian Wood, uh, all things clutch city, you can follow me at JT Gatlin. Of course, check out locked on rockets available wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google play store, all those good places. You can also follow the show on Twitter, of course, at locked on rockets for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Awesome. I'll be sure to include links down in the description uh, to everyone listening. Thank you for listening. Of course, go follow Justin and all his Jackson. Jesus, I can't speak. Be sure to follow Jackson. All we were talking work. about Justin Hall. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's like, no, 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 I, I knew exactly. As soon yeah, as you ex- said it, I was like, I know where his head I'm went. Like, okay. Oh man. Well, yes, of course, go follow Jackson, and all his work um, and just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.